0: How can you prepare for an unexpected event? An event that you don't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, what time, what day. How can you be prepared for something like that? In the passage today, the Apostle Paul uses a phrase that maybe you're familiar with. It's this idea of the Lord coming, Jesus coming like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. I want to tell you a story, true story, of a time that I was not prepared for something that came like a thief in the night. Actually, it was a thief that came in the night. Early in my ministry back in Chicago, my wife and I lived in a a two-flat. We were the first-story apartment of a two-story building. And we had youth group on Sunday nights. Every Sunday night, same time, we had youth group. Now, that afternoon, we had had Lindsay's first birthday party. Also, I want to say hi to Lindsay's friends, Emily and Kylie, the twins. I love that you're sitting together, so I don't have to remember which is which. Uh, (laughs) Emily, (laughs) you're Kylie, you're Emily. Got it. Uh, Funny story. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So, Emily and Kylie are from Chicago, and they go to Moody with Lindsay. Moody Bible Institute is where my wife and I graduated from. I had a guy on my floor at Moody called Jason, who's a good friend of mine named Jason. We graduated, served together, and we started babysitting his kids early on, a set of twins named Emily and Kylie <laughs> and their brother John. And they would come over and play in the nursery with Lindsay. And, and this went on for, I don't know, a year or so off and on. And uh, we moved away from Chicago, moved on, kind of lost, lost touch with Jason and Tanya, his wife. And we were Dropping Lindsay off at Moody and who should come into line behind us, but their dad and Emily and Kylie, and they hit it off, they've become best friends since. So anyway, (laughs) has nothing to do with the sermon. But it does take place in Chicago. So where we actually was the apartment we used to babysit you guys in. So we were off. We had had Lindsay's first birthday party that afternoon. We had come home and dumped everything in the apartment. I mean literally dumped. We had like started opening some stuff. It was strewn all over our apartment. Normally we're total neat freaks. But that day, (laughs) that day it was a mess. We went to youth group, did the youth group thing, came back home. Now, the garage for the apartment was in the back in the alley and you could see through the windows of the garage into the apartment all the way down the length of the apartment and there was a light that was on and I thought, hmm, that's odd. I'm normally pretty good about shutting off the lights. It's my dad's influence, I think. So I, I, I told Becky and Lindsay, who was at this point one year old, I was like, why don't you guys just stay in the car? I'm sure it's nothing. I'll go in and check it out. I go in, I climb the steps, I open the back door of the apartment, and I walk in, and there all the way, it was a long, narrow apartment, and you could see from one end to the other, and at the other end of the apartment, there was a guy standing there with several of our possessions in his hands, and I did what any sensible person would do. I said, hey, you, and I took off running after him. He turned, he was right next to the front door, he turned and went out the front door, which Now thinking back, he must have unlocked in advance because that was definitely locked. He must have unlocked it and prepared his way out. He took off. I ran after him. I got on the front step, was about to run down the front steps and run down the the sidewalk after him when a voice of reason kicked into my head. Dave, even if you could catch him, what are you going to do? Like, really, what are you going to do? And so I stopped and I watched as some of our treasured belongings Fled down the street. And I went back to, to Becky, who, as you could imagine, was freaking out because she could see me take off running. She had no idea what was going on, but she saw that we lost a DVD player. I think we lost a camera with all the pictures on it. I think probably from the birthday party. We we had the pictures. So. Um, we lost the, I will, I do remember this. We lost our PlayStation two. See these things are, I know, right? Do you know what's really funny? So, so, well, there's a couple things that were really funny. One was we literally had a pile of cash over a hundred dollars that people of the church had given us for Lindsay's birthday. You've never seen this Lindsay, but it was, it was laying open on the floor and he didn't touch it. We just kind of laughed. We're like, that was probably worth more than anything he took. And yet he left that. We finally, the cops showed up about 2 a.m. Took a long time for them to get there. And uh, they came in and said, whoa, did he do all this? Because there was stuff everywhere. (laughs) And we were like, no, that was us. So we had a thief that came in the night. Evidently, he knew what time we would be gone. He had been casing other places in the area. They did eventually catch him. We didn't get our stuff back, as you could imagine. But how could I be prepared for something like that? You can't. It's right. You can't. But, but what if you could? What if you said, I'm never going to let this happen again? How am I going to be prepared? You know, one way is I'm never going to leave my house. I'm just going to sit here and be ready for if somebody walks in, then I'm going to take care of them and I will be here forever and ever, and nobody's getting into this house. That would be one way. Maybe I could call the police, have them sit outside. But the problem is the thief doesn't come when you know they're going to come. You can't possibly be ready all the time and just sitting around doing nothing in case the thief shows up. There's a better way to be prepared for a thief coming. Uh, we, we found out later that a window was left unlocked, We could have checked the windows every time we went out and made sure that the windows were locked. We could have just made sure the apartment was always ready just in case a thief showed up. Now, we're in this sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. In fact, why don't you open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in case you haven't done that yet. That's where we'll be this morning, verses 1 through 11. We're in this Faith Out Loud sermon series. This idea that Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica and he encourages them and he praises them for living their faith, what I've called Faith Out Loud. They were actively demonstrating, living, and proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. They were known and had become known in the whole region as people that believed in, trusted in Jesus Christ. Christ had made a difference in their life. And they weren't ashamed of that. They weren't hiding that. They were living their faith out loud. And I hope that as we have gone through this sermon series, that we have been challenged to live our faith out loud. They too lived in a culture that did not believe what they believed, that didn't support what they supported, that did not accept the truth about Jesus Christ. It's easy today to say, oh, woe is us. Everything's falling apart. It's so hard to be a Christian today. It's always been hard to be a Christian. And, and if anything, we have in the New Testament letters, letters to people going through situations very similar to us, struggling in their world to hold on to the truth of Jesus Christ. But what does this look like? How do we live our faith out loud? And one important way that we do this is to always be prepared for what this passage and other passages in Scripture calls the day of the Lord, to always be prepared and ready for Jesus Christ to return so let 's dig into this passage, and the first thing that we come to in the first three verses is that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Let me read just verses one through three of First Thessalonians five. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. He starts off by saying to them, I don't need to write to you about times and dates, which I always kind of have to chuckle about that because when you get Christians together to talk about the end times, what do they want to talk about? Times and dates. When is Jesus coming? When is the year? When is the hour? How do we predict it? If we add up all these secret letters and count all these vowels and all these syllables in scripture, we can unravel the mysterious code and figure out when Jesus is coming back. And Paul goes, nah, I'm not writing about that. I don't need to write to you about that. Now, I don't think it's because he told them the date and time that Jesus was coming back. I think it's because he told them that's the wrong question. We don't need to write about that. We don't need to talk about that. The only thing that they needed to know was that Jesus was going to come like a thief in the night. An unexpected, unforeseen time. The emphasis of the Bible is that the timing of Jesus's return is not important and not for us to know. That is the overwhelming emphasis of all of the end times passages. The point is not to figure out the time of Jesus's return. It is to always be prepared. Jesus himself writes, or said, rather, in Matthew chapter 24, as Matthew records, verse 36, this is Jesus saying, but about that day or hours, talking about his return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I don't want to linger on this too much, but periodically there are brothers and sisters in Christ that get duped, taken in by scams. Anyone who comes to you and tells you they know the day or the hour that Jesus Christ has returned, anyone who is selling books, going on speaking circuits to say, I know when Christ is returning, I've got this all figured out. The biblical Christian who knows passages such as this and such as this passage in Matthew will say that person is wrong. They're wrong. They don't know. If Jesus himself, the son of God, in some mysterious way could say that when he was on this earth, even he didn't know. How could he not know? He's Jesus. He knows everything. I don't know. He said it. I just accept it. But he said, no one knows. Only God, the father in heaven. Now, does Jesus know when he's coming back? Absolutely. But there's some aspect of the display of his holiness, his glory that he gave up when he was on earth. And he says, when he was here, he didn't even know. I think the big point here is how dare we say that we're better than Jesus Christ. We don't know when he's coming back. Being prepared does not mean figuring out when the end times are going to happen. Paul's concern in writing this this passage is the concern of a pastor writing to his people to encourage them now in their situation and in their lives To always be prepared. Live now in light of the truth that Jesus Christ is returning. So he goes on and he uses this phrase, the day of the Lord. And what does this mean? What is the day of the Lord? Throughout scripture, the day of the Lord is used as a time or a time period when God will bring judgment on this world. I want to show you a couple passages, and I'm just going to warn you, this is some hard stuff, but we need to hear the word of the Lord on what the day of the Lord is. Isaiah 13:6, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah 13:9, see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Joel 2.11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? This is not just an Old Testament concept. In the New Testament, it's talked about as well. In 2 Peter 3.10, Peter writes, similar to Paul, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And in the New Testament, it's made clear this day of the Lord, this time of judgment will come when Jesus Christ, the son of God returns. In 2 Thessalonians, a follow-up letter to the one we're studying, Paul writes this in chapter one, verses six through 10. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you have or because you believed our testimony to you. So the day of the Lord in Scripture is when Jesus Christ, who is God, will return here on this earth to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. So how can we be ready for this? And what Paul lays out for us in this passage is that there are two ways to be prepared for this or kind of two responses that people give. In verse 2, he says, "...you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night." What he's emphasizing here, as I said earlier, is an unexpected suddenness. You're not going to know when the thief comes. The second part that Paul is expressing here is that the coming of a thief in the night is a bad thing. I know this is hard because you say, wait a minute, we need to be prepared like Jesus coming as a thief in the night. But in the context of this passage, this is a bad thing. I did not get home that Sunday and go, woohoo, there's a thief in my apartment. This is great. I've been hoping for this day. Nobody celebrates a thief coming. So in the context of what Paul's talking about, there are a group of people who are going to experience the coming of Jesus as sudden and horrible. It is a bad experience. But look at verse 4. Because others will see the coming of Jesus as a good experience. So he talks about those for whom Jesus will come like a thief in the night. But in verse 4, he says, but you, brothers and sisters, we'll look at that in a moment. But he says, that will not be your experience. You will experience this differently. In verse 9, he says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ we will greet the coming of the Lord Jesus. If you are a Christian saved by Jesus Christ, you will greet him as your foreseen king, your best friend, the savior of the world. But Paul adds that the return of Christ for those that that are living their own way, their own life, they're just doing their own things, he says it will be an unavoidable destruction. In verse 3, he says destruction will come on them suddenly. And then he says something I think is kind of curious to us, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, we hear labor pains and we think a baby's being born, like that's a good thing. And the birth of a baby obviously is a good thing. The problem was in their culture, pregnancy and labor was a terrifying thing. Many women died in childbirth. And so this was this difficult thing when a woman was pregnant and the pregnancy, the labor pains began. There was a terror there and it couldn't be stopped. Once it started, the baby was going to come. It was going to come to fruition. And Paul's likening that to this idea that we cannot stop the day of the Lord. Jesus Christ is going to come. There will be no escape. There will be no bargaining. There will be no time for last-minute changes of hearts. No grand party at the end. Jesus is going to come back and judgment will begin. And for those not saved by Jesus Christ, this will be a terrible thing. And look at how these people are facing that. They're sitting around saying peace and safety while destruction comes. Think about this. Think of a family sitting inside their house and they're sharing dinner, they're playing games together, they're watching a movie and outside the thief is ready to break in. And they don't know it. They're not concerned about it. They're not thinking about it. They're saying everything is fine. Or worse, you're at home enjoying a nice dinner and there's an army marching down the street and you don't know it. Or maybe you do and you're just pretending like it's not there. Everything's fine. We're at peace. What could possibly go wrong? Our culture today, just like every culture since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, says peace and safety Everything's fine. Don't worry about anything. Just do what you want to do. Find your own personal happiness. Find your own personal peace, your own personal meaning, your own personal purpose, your own personal identity. That's where you will find peace and it will all work out great. And Paul's words ring out to us today Jesus Christ is coming back. And all those things that we have clung on to saying, peace. And safety, this will fulfill me, this will help me. All of it will be challenged by and conquered by the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it is a false peace and a false safety. Now I admit at this point, this seems like a very doom and gloom, fire and brimstone sermon. And some of you maybe are visiting today and I I, I feel the need to say this is not the kind of message I preach every Sunday, except it kind of is because the message I try to preach every Sunday is whatever the passage says. And this is what this passage says. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it or soften it. If it's offensive, it needs to be offensive. Jesus Christ is coming back and it will be for those who have not accepted Jesus as their savior. It will be an unexpected, unwelcome and disastrous event. But there is another way. There is another way to face the coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what's alluded to in verse four when he he addresses the Christians and says, but you, You're not going to face the return of Jesus this way. We can face the coming of Jesus Christ as a glorious and welcome event, still without knowing when it's going to happen. Something we long for and something we will be prepared for. So how? How can we be prepared for Christ's return? How do we prepare for something if we never know when it's going to happen? Look at verses four through eight. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. He says, that's not going to be your experience. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. He says there are fundamentally two groups of people and they are completely different. One group of people who will experience Christ coming like a thief in the night as an unexpected, unforeseen, disastrous judgment. Those people are living in darkness. They think they see clearly and everything's great, but they are living in darkness. And he says to us Christians, you are not part of that group. You are people living in the daytime, in the light. You are living in the light of Christ. Throughout scripture, there is this profound difference and I don't know that you can get more extreme than darkness and light. This profound difference in who we are and how we are to live as Christians. We are to live in the light of Jesus Christ. We see this in 1 John 1, through 5-7. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Paul says the world is living in darkness and they will be shocked, surprised, and saddened by Christ's return. But those saved by Jesus Christ are living in the light and will welcome Jesus' return with great joy because we will be prepared. And at the end of verse 4, he says, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. This is not telling us to figure out all the end times. What it is telling us is about always being ready. Imagine a wife goes out for the day with her friends and tells the husband, hey, we need to get some things done around the house. And the husband says, I agree. I want to, I'm going to clean the garage and I'm going to do some yard work and I'm going to work. You go out with your friends. This is what I'm going to do. And the wife goes unexpectedly halfway through the day. She has to come back home to get something. And she comes in halfway through the day, and she stands up beside him and says, hello. And with great shock, he goes, what are you doing home? Now, in that moment, what is going to be that experience? Well, it depends greatly, doesn't it, on what the husband is doing in that moment. If in that moment he is actually cleaning the garage, or better yet, it's done and he's out back working, he's going to say, hey, it's so great to see you. And she'll say, wow, this looks great. I love this. Thank you for all you're doing. He's like, yeah, I've got a little more to do, but I'm still going. It will be a joyous time, unexpected, but joyous. Now imagine he's got a game controller in his hands and headphones on. And he's <laughs> doing some online gaming with his buddies. And he has done nothing in the garage and nothing in the yard. And she stands up and says, hey, and he goes, what are you doing home? That's a very different scenario, isn't it? Because now it's going to be, what, what are you doing? This isn't what I asked you to do. There is a difference. In one situation, he is prepared for her coming, even though he didn't know she was coming. This is what it means to live as a Christian, to be faithful to who God has called us to be. Paul is challenging them and challenging us to live in light of the truth that Jesus can come back at any moment. Paul's writing about two groups. One doesn't care or is completely unaware that Jesus is returning, and they're going on about their life as if it just doesn't matter. The others, Christians, are living as if, Jesus can and will return at any time and they are going to live out that truth in their life. So what does it mean to be prepared? Look at verse five. He says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. He says, you are not them. Don't think like them. Don't act like them we must understand that we are called to and are completely different because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Ephesians 2 uses such strong language. It says, you were dead, but now you're alive in Jesus Christ. Could there be any greater difference between you were dead in the grave and now you're alive in Jesus Christ? We must live this new life, this new reality, no longer living in the darkness of this world, thinking the world's ways, doing the world's things, and acting like it just doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is coming back. We must be prepared. He goes on to say, We are to be awake and sober. This means eyes wide open, minds working, hands and feet busy, doing what the Lord wants. We cannot just go with the flow of our culture. Speaking of Moody Bible Institute, I had a a professor, I can't remember his name offhand, but he gave me a great example. I've shared this with you before. But he says, picture God's over here and our culture's over here. And there's a difference. There's a distance between our world and the culture. He says, what happens so often is that as Christians, we're somewhere in here. And so we're looking at the culture, and saying, well, we're not as bad as the culture. We're a little closer to God, so that's good. That's, we're not perfect. We all know that. He says, here's what happens. The culture is steadily moving away from God. And what happens all too often is that the culture of the church, the behavior actions of the church move with the culture. And God's still way over there. And as Christians, we're looking at the culture and saying, well, we're not that bad. At least we're not as bad as they are. But Paul is trying to turn our eyes back to God, back to Christ and saying, look how far you've moved. We are to live in the light of who God is, which means as culture moves, as our world changes and shifts away from who God is and what he's doing, if we stay closer to God, what is the world going to think of us? What a bunch of weirdos. They're crazy. Those Christians, they're crazy. They're saying things and believing things that are absurd. Now, some of you are chuckling, but this is the language that is being applied to Christians today who are holding on to biblical truth. We're crazy. More than that, the world is looking at us at times and saying, not only are they crazy, they're evil. They're calling, following God who created us and sent his son to die for us, evil. This should not be surprising in the least. And it also shouldn't concern us in the least. Jesus Christ always said that would happen. Because we are of the day. We are in the light of Jesus Christ. They are seeing through the world's lens of darkness and nighttime and thinking everything is fine. We are called to be different. The contrast here is so, ex- so extreme. Those living in the night are drunk. He's not actually talking about drinking here and wine and alcohol. There's applications there, but what he's talking about is a loss of control. They have given up control in their life to anything else, something else. could be alcohol, drugs, worldly points of views, could be anything. But he says we are called to be sober. We are never to be out of control, allow something else in the world or in our own preferences to control us because we are to be followers of Jesus Christ. If we are prepared for Christ's return, we must belong to Jesus Christ and be aware that this makes us different in every possible way. So how do we live that difference? And Paul turns now to what is a very common theme for us or for him, putting on what Christ or what God has done. Look at verses eight through 11. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This language, I hope, is familiar to you putting on the Christian armor. Lots of other New Testament passages we could go to. There's a couple famous ones. Paul sometimes switches up. What's the breastplate? What's the helmet? Don't get caught up by that. The whole point is, in general, put on what Christ has done for you. Wear it like a suit of armor. Live it out in your life. What's really interesting, though, is that this actually comes from the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 16 and 17, Isaiah writes this about God the Father. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is God doing this. He puts on his own righteousness. He puts on his own salvation. So all these passages in the New Testament talk about us putting on these things. It's not saying make yourself more righteous. Make yourself more faithful. It's saying put on what God has already done for you. Let's look at what we're supposed to put on. He says put on faith. Faith. Hope and love come up over and over again, and they are central to this passage. But he starts with faith. And please understand, Christians, this is not faith in terms of a vague spiritual or religious notion. Oh, I'm a person of faith. That's not what he talk, he's talking about. He is talking about faith. As a set of truths in Jesus Christ based on who he is and what he has done and trusting in that. That's the way Paul uses faith. He's not just saying be a better believer or being more spiritual. He's saying hold on to, cling to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. He goes on to love. And here again, Paul's concept of love is never just a general just love people and be more loving. Paul's concept of love is always look at how God loves his people. Look at how Jesus has loved us. Love one another in the same way. It is a love with a content of truth. He talks about hope. The hope of salvation as a helmet. Hope is to be certain of something because God has promised it to be true. And those with the hope of salvation look at the coming of Jesus Christ very differently. We look with hope. We look with hope and anticipation because the sin and struggles of this world will pass away and our King Jesus will reign forever with us in his presence And Paul says we have to look at all this through the lens of what Christ has done. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. God has chosen us. Verse 9, for he did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has a plan for each and every follower of Jesus Christ. He has a choice to work in us and through us. And God always gets the credit for our salvation and always saves people with a purpose. And that purpose is to shine like lights for Him. And we are to see all this through the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us through the cross and the resurrection. And so Paul wraps up what he started in chapter 4, verse 13 where he talked about Christians who have died and they're worried about them. Now he's talked about us who might be alive when Christ returns. Now he's talked about living for Christ, always being prepared. But through all of it, the goal is to encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So how can you be prepared for what? For when Christ returns? How can we be ready for that if we never know when? When? we need to remember and dwell upon what Christ has done for us. We didn't do it for ourselves. We don't make ourselves holy and righteous. We don't even make ourselves loving. We don't make ourselves hopeful. We become more faithful and loving and hopeful as we dwell upon and accept and embrace what Christ has done for us. If we live a certain way, in order that we may be saved, we're going to live with an immense amount of guilt and shame. And there are many people living in what this passage would call the darkness or the night, who are trying so hard to make themselves right before the Lord. But they're ignoring what Christ has done for them. We need to live how we live as Christians because we are saved. That's why it starts with faith in what Jesus has done. This is what it means to live in the light of the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So let me ask you one question. Are you prepared for the day of the Lord? Are you prepared for the day of the Lord? You can't know the time. You can't know the hour. You can't really put together a perfect chart and diagram of how it's all going to happen so that you can tick things off and know when Jesus is coming back. I don't believe that scripture allows that or is helpful in that way. That's not the point. The point is to always be each and every day. Are you prepared for the day of the Lord? That question is really another question said differently. It is the question, are you saved by Jesus Christ? If you have accepted Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf and committed your life to Him, then you can welcome His coming with great joy. And you can live this out in your life, living out what God has done. We can live this out as a church, even in a fallen, broken world, so that they can see Jesus through us. Now, I'm sure there are some here saying to themselves, I'm good. I don't need this, Pastor. I'm good. I've got peace in my own life. I'm I'm safe. Everything's good. Friend, Jesus is coming, whether you accept it or not. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you will experience His coming like a thief coming in the night. And my desire for you today would be to accept Jesus as your Savior so that on the day he appears, you will welcome him as your friend, your king, and your Savior. And for all those saved by Jesus Christ, the world needs to see it. They need to see it in us They need to see something different that they're going to get anywhere else in this world. And if that means they look at you and say you're crazy, then be crazy for Jesus' sake. But the world needs to see it because there are those that are still lost in darkness and they need to see the light of truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are hard words. We want to come together on Sunday mornings for for joy and encouragement and celebration. And God, we, we have those times. But we also need the sober reality that this world is passing away. And I pray we will not be like that man in my apartment, just grabbing for all we can and going our own way. And I pray on the day that Jesus returns that instead of saying, oh no, we will say, yes, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who's never accepted your son as their Savior, may today be the day that changes the rest of their life and all of the rest of their eternity. And God, for those of us who have accepted your Son as our Savior, we need to hear the challenge and the encouragement to live in the light, no matter how dark this world gets, that one day when your Son appears, we will be doing what we've been doing all along, trusting you and living for you, come what may. And so through and in it all, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come. Amen.